ING on air. The secure bank of the future. Digital solutions to the risks of digitalization. Welcome to this episode of ING on air. My name is Liao Wang, and I'm coming to you from Money 2020 to tell you all about the future of banking at ING. You think you know about banking? I mean, who really thinks about banking? But banking today isn't banking yesterday. Joining me is Rolf Hammers, CEO of ING. So Rolf, you just came out of your keynote speech here at Money 2020, and it was all about the future. Um, when you look at the future of ING, what are the things that you're looking at? Well, clearly, the future for ING is very much close to our purpose. Uh, when I started as a CEO six years ago, I found it important that we would take that opportunity to really become a purpose-driven organization. And our purpose is to empower people to stay a step ahead in life and in business. And uh, if you look at that purpose, there is no mention of financial industry in there, uh, nor is there a, a mention of clients in there. Uh, first, because on the, on the financial side, uh, we don't think that financial services are a primary need. Uh, shopping, buying a house, making an investment as an SME company, those are primary needs in order to do what you need to do. Uh, granting a loan, making a payment is a secondary kind of need in order to get you there. So that's why it's not in our purpose, because in the end, it's really to support you. And clients are not part of our purpose specifically either. It's, it's much broader because our role is much broader in society if it comes to we want to develop the whole society. And clearly we're a bank and clearly there's clients that we have to support, but uh, we reach out to many more groups in order to make sure that they become self-reliant on the financial side, that we create a low-carbon society as well. So that's the core element of our future. The second element there is that uh, the future is digital and, and even more so the, the future is is, is mobile first. We see that we have 26% of our customers, of the 38 million customers that we have around the world, that have never interacted with ING other than through a mobile device, not even when they became a client. So, And that was only 14% two years ago, and there you see how rapidly this development is going. And the third element there is that in that world, experience is everything. So in a world where people only take three minutes a day for their banking while waiting for the bus rather than uh, uh, 15 minutes on a Sunday and they're working off a small screen, you've got to make sure that your products are very simple, very transparent, so you get a lot of product commoditization. So the experience as to how much push buttons, buttons how, how many uh, times you have to swipe, that's important. And lastly, uh, but very importantly as well, is that the prime competition that we're up against are the platform companies. And the beauty of the platform companies is that they have one instance of a standardized servers uh, that they work from globally. And I think that's a big challenge for many of us. Uh, how do you get to a one system environment? How do you get to that platform? How do you get your brand to work around the platform opportunity? How do you make sure that you create a network effect in your platform? Basically, how do you make sure that it's so attractive that you get more clients and with those clients in an open banking concept, you also create, get more producers on your network and, and therefore you get more clients and that brings again more producers. So that, how do you get that uh, business model working? 
Right, so. and, and you've talked about this lap, last point a lot, right? About how banking is sort of moving into two directions. You can either move into the experience direction that you're talking about, or you just end up with a balance sheet that at some point is going to commoditize, right? Exactly. And when you think about that experience point and this platform, I know ING is building its own platform, is investing in platforms. What's the end game banking or, fi or personal finance platform that, that you see in front of you? Yeah, so basically, if you, if, if you want to be, if you, if you want to play in the platform world, there is like three recipes to follow. The first one is you become a platform yourself. The second one is you develop independent platforms like Yold and Cobase that that we've developed as well, and there's enough as we speak. Um, and the third one is that you connect to the other platforms, but you're completely disintermediated, so you become a factory or balance sheet, whatever. So clearly the one that we find very attractive for ourselves, given the value of our brand and the way that people around the world know us, is to become a platform ourselves. Now, if you want to become a platform yourself, you first need to create a love brand, as we call that. And the love brand is basically a brand that people... You know, it's, 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 it's a bit irrational, but they really want to identify themselves with the brand. They're and fans. They're fans, really. They're fans. They want to wear shirts with ING exactly. on them. Exactly. They want to wear shoes that are orange, you know. That's, that's you know, and, and that, is, that is what you want to create. So the way they experience your service is so differentiating that they only want to do their service with you. That's one. Secondly, in order to be, cre be credible as a platform, you've got to be open, which basically means that uh, you can't be credible if in the interaction with your customers you only offer products of your own making. Uh, because it could very well be that the products of your competitor are much better fit for your customer's need at that moment in time. And that's interesting to me, though, because the choice for an open platform isn't necessarily very clear. A priori Not all platforms are open, right? So what well, makes actually, you move towards the, the openness? Well, actually, most of them are open. Even, even Apple, which is called to be the most closed platform, still has Google Maps. They allow Google Maps. They do allow Spotify as a competition to iMusic. So even they see that, you know, they wouldn't be selling as many devices if they are completely closed, right? So... Um, Is this realizing you can't be the best at everything? It's realizing that if you want to be in touch with your customer and you really want to make a difference to your customer, then you really have to offer them what they like and what serves their needs better. And Often, it's not necessarily the product that you have on the shelf. And you have to admit that, you know. Um, it's like innovation. You know, nobody has a monopoly on good ideas, right? So nobody has a monopoly on the best app either. So there may be uh, companies out there that just do that music service a little bit better than Apple had kind of invented it themselves. And then they allow it. And that's what we should do as well. Actually, we're experimenting with this in, in Germany as we speak. We're opening up our app to see the, the current balances, current account balances of, of our competitors on your app as well, which is the first step in openness is aggregation. Uh, on the mortgage sales uh, side, we do the same as well in Germany, where ING clients uh, that we can't service with our own mortgages. We actually offer mortgages of our competitors and actually to the extent that often two-thirds of our mortgage production doesn't 
go to us, but goes to our competitors. So you still serve your customer. You're actually putting your customer first that's above it. all of your products. That's it. Right. That's it. Right. And that's the only way to stay credible in the platform world because uh, first uh, you have to kind of get them to your platform because in the end, uh, as I said, uh, when I talked about purpose, a client, a banking service is not servicing a, a, a primary need. So uh, if you have networks out there, if you have platforms out there that clients go on in order to look for a house, it will be a very logical step that on that platform they will also find their mortgage because they're looking for their house there, right? So those are that's a competition for us. So either you've got to be so attractive that in the end, in a service that is otherwise excellent, an experience that is otherwise excellent, that is really around the housing uh, of people, um, that they actually step out of that process in order to check it with us, or you got to develop this yourself. That's what we did and uh, that's what we're trying to do in Holland with Markelasland. Markelasland is, a, uh, is a, uh, a digital real estate broker, not a mortgage broker, a real estate broker. But people who log in to uh, log on to uh, Markelasland are clearly looking for a house. They're doing that their way, in a digital way. So we know they're looking for a house. We know where they're looking for a house. We know the price uh, range that they're looking for a house. So rather than on a Friday afternoon for them to run into a branch and say, well, I need a mortgage by Monday, and the only thing you can compete on is price, you are actually already much more able to be more relevant to them earlier on in that process. And that's something people will only find out once they get to your platform, right? And, and I think that's something you touched upon before, the necessity of becoming a love brand that attracts people. And when you look at sort of, for instance, the MPS of banks, that's in a whole different range than a typical MPS for a tech company. How do you view ING in that spectrum and how are you making that switch? Yeah, that's actually a very interesting one. Um, not the net promoter score, NPS, is uh, what we call our compass. And uh, we derive a lot of information from the feedback that our customers give us. And out of the 13 markets in which we are what we call a consumer bank, in six of those, we are number one in net promoter score, uh, which basically leaves uh, seven for us to conquer, right? Uh, and generally, the seven, uh, or at least some of the seven, are basically the markets in which we still have branch banking. So here's, this is an interesting thing, right? So we're all going into this digital uh, era, and generally where we are digital only, we have a much higher net promoter score, uh, and we're, we ba basically uh, beat the competition uh, in, in most of those markets, like Germany and Spain, Australia, are Romania. Are you still viewed as a bank in those markets? Uh, completely not. We're outside of that category. Uh, also, from a talent perspective, we compete with the Googles and the Amazons, uh, so we're really outside of the category. But clearly, in markets which we, where we have been known as a bank all the time, like the Netherlands and Belgium, where we're going through a massive transformation to become digital, uh, that's basically where we have the challenge of how do you get your net promoter score to the highest level uh, when you take away services from customers who are used to branch services, right? So it's a transition that you have to go through where 
you know you're going you're doing the right thing but you have to take your clients along and some of them may just not like what you're changing right and you have to take your clients along but you also have to take your branches along all your people at the front line along you know your organization along you have a legacy there right Absolutely. so what is your role as a as a CEO as a leader of this company in making that transformation so clearly it's uh, the, the first thing is you know to to spread the story right to make people believe that this is the direction and in that you've got to show evidence that what we're doing is successful that you know we are growing we're about the only bank in Europe that is growing and we're growing uh, with more than a million customers a year there's just no banks growing because Europe is not growing right so we are taking market share in, in, in the way we do things so that's a firm belief secondly in the way we work uh, we change the way we work from a normal top-down hierarchical organization which had functions like marketing and products and organization and, 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 and IT uh, and we moved it all around to what we call the one agile way of working um, which demands a lot of uh, change from our people but we train them we coach them to do that it empowers them it empowers them to really do what they want to do clearly it is not it's it's not the way of working for everyone so some people will just choose to leave at a certain moment but it attracts a lot of young talent as well in order to to work with us yeah so it's so, not for everyone but that's okay is what I'm hearing you say no well it, it's okay. well, clearly you try to take your people along and to train them and develop them as long as you can but at a certain moment if they really don't like that way yeah then then regretfully you can't the skills that you need are different as well and, you know I, I, it's very difficult to kind of develop a, a branch teller uh, to an IT developer Right, I mean, so and clearly there are steps in between that you can do, uh, but but there is a massive change going through the organization. And what you do as a leader is is show uh, the understanding, go and visit them, uh, talk about the problems they run into, um, um, show that you work that way as well, agile from that perspective, which we do as a board. So as a board, we have stand-up meetings ourselves. Um, we have uh, we don't do three-year planning at ING. We do basically 30-year planning with a six-month uh, change uh, horizon like the big guys do as well uh, and that's what we do we put it in practice so we have quarterly business reviews we have quarterly updates as to our plans uh, we prioritize our change our investment money on a quarterly basis for tribes to basically show what they want to do and we prioritize that so that they know what to do and we measure that on a quarterly basis and they basically change that on a two-weekly sprint basis, yeah. right? So it all goes very fast. Yeah, and you're really <clears throat> leading by example, if I'm, if I'm hearing you. And I, I think, you know, two of the core aspects of Agile are, one, transparency on what your goals are, where you put your investments, you know, what everyone is doing, and two, empowerment. So really giving the people closest to the customer the most power almost to choose, you know, what they want to do. How do you bring that into practice with your board? Um, well, basically, and that's a lot, a lot of hard work, because in the end, you need to understand what the demand is coming out of the organization. So, I mean, we're active in 42 countries, um, so we have a wholesale bank and a retail bank, and they come up with these 
plans every quarter and you got to really go through these plans in order to see where you want to put your priorities clearly for us the coming uh, period the priority stands very high around you know our role as a gatekeeper to the financial system uh, which has really become a theme I think for the whole financial system including the neo banks as to you know with all the benefits that digitalization brings it also certainly brings some disadvantages and you have to become a master of non-financial risk in that uh, so that's where we put a lot of priority and we show that those are the priorities we show that that is the understanding we actually go down into the organization and we sit down with them but in the end the important thing in agile is that yes we do allocate and we do prioritize but that the development itself of all of this is in these squads these two pizza teams that change things on a two-weekly basis that have sprints that have stand-up meetings and they track every ling simple uh, every single step and you have to instill um, confidence in them, in them to call off a change that is just not working so which is the fail fast concept right they can be uh, wrong that's it okay be wrong. it's okay to be wrong in terms of what you develop uh, if you change if you change your environment as long as you detect it quickly and uh, and as long as you admit it as well because then we can work it rather than to continue in a path that at a certain moment you feel is not the right direction but you feel embarrassed to admit that you, you got go it wrong, anymore, right? Yeah. So it's uh, and, and basically then it's too costly and it kind of delays everything. So, yeah, and you have to set those examples. So it's important to fail fast. It's important to create that atmosphere where it's okay to fail fast. Is there anything, you know, looking back on maybe last year you were here too, is there anything that last year seemed like a really good idea and this year you're like, we should definitely stop that? <laughs> uh, well, it's good. <laughs> You should have given me notice on this one, and then I could have thought about it. But uh, there's certainly things that we have stopped, right? So in going through priorities as to where you think uh, uh, things are heading, uh, uh, we have stopped some projects also to free up money for new priorities, like you know, uh, uh, stepping up on our role as a gatekeeper uh, uh, to the financial system. Um, so then we stop it from a priority perspective. Um, to come to specific things that we have stopped, um, yes, we actually did. So last year, um, a couple of years ago, we announced that we started to collaborate with a company called Cabbage, and Cabbage uh, had a and still have an algorithm uh, through which you can score credit for SME companies. Like in uh, a day, right? You could get a exactly. loan in a day. In 10 minutes, actually. In 10 minutes, cash on your account. And actually, that is all working. Um, it's all working in the US. And um, basically, we try to develop that as well in, our, in a collaboration with them uh, in Spain. And, um, and basically, we have, start, we, we have decided to stop that because uh, one way or the other, we couldn't get it right, at least not for the Spanish market at that moment. Um, so basically, we said, well, rather than to continue on a track that or a trajectory that we feel for the next couple of years is not going to uh, get us somewhere, we better stop it and then see maybe there is a, there's a different way how we can get there. There's a different way how we can do and support SME companies in, in, in many countries. 
in a digital way. Uh, but if it's not, it's not. So rather than doing it ourselves, uh, for example, in Holland, we um, uh, we have teamed up with uh, Fending Options and in other countries we have teamed up with FinCompare in order to give SMEs a, uh, more options as to uh, how they can fulfill their financing needs. And we stopped the cabbage collaboration. So yes, there's, there's certainly one that where we basically felt that it's just not working for us and for our clients. Right, and the goal still exists, but the way towards Absolutely. it changed. Absolutely. So you just told me about how you do your planning. You have a long-term horizon and then you have a six-month iteration. Um, looking at that, what is the, the maybe the one thing you really look forward to tackling? Well, I think the, the real thing to tackle here is uh, how you create what I call cross-border scalability. Specifically for the financial industry with all its regulations uh, that are sometimes so often also locally driven, uh, it's very challenging to create that cross-border scalability. So we have many different projects for that. The first one is a project in which we are basically moving to onto one platform between the Netherlands and Belgium as branch banks, which become increasingly digital. Then we have a project called Model Bank, which basically is that same project, but now for uh, mobile banks in Spain, Italy, France, and the Czech Republic, going onto one platform. But we also launched a concept that we call Touchpoint Architecture. And Touchpoint Architecture is, you can forget about the name, but what it does is basically all of our coders have to write their code in a specific way so that you can put code together like Lego blocks. And we started that two and a half years ago. And all of our coders are applying it now. And what you can then do is that you know, the best way to open an account, the best way to identify a client, the best way to transfer money, that that could be developed, uh, one in Spain, the other one in Poland, the other one in Romania. And you can put it together and create your best bank. What we did a year ago, we set up a small team in the Philippines. And we asked that team to use and reuse code that was available already in ING, developed like that. And they opened a mobile-only bank within 10 months. That's crazy. 10 months, only reusing what was available. So basically, it shows that you can create cross-border scalability even in the banking world. And we opened that bank not by cutting a ribbon, but by uploading it in the App Store. And then, did these developers create any new code, or was it just plug-and-play of these Lego blocks? It was 70% Lego blocks, uh, a plug-and-play, and it was 30%. Clearly, there's always some local aspects to it. There's a local currency, the Filipino pesos, that you have to adjust to. There may be a local regulation that you have to kind of adjust to. Uh, but 70%, uh, minimum 70%, was completely reused. And to what extent does this create um, a barrier for your developers? Like, how hard is it to sort of learn this language of ING code? It's, it's, it's not so hard. It is just a concept that you have to adhere to as a coder. And it makes you more proud, actually, because now all of the coders that we have across the world, they can work on projects in in, 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 in any kind of uh, location, really. So 45% of all of our IT capacity currently is already used on cross-border projects through this. So it makes you part not only of ING in Spain, mm. but really of ING, and you're building this platform bank together. So your developers have already crossed those borders? Absolutely. 
All right, thank you so much. Rolf Hammers, CEO of ING. Want to learn more about the platform's innovation, blockchain, or AI at ING? We're talking to the people within ING who are leading the change. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Check out all the episodes in the series via ing.com or bnr.nl slash money2020.